So about 10 years ago, a tradition started at our church um, where the Sunday prior to Valentine's Day, we, we take time to, to remember, pray for, and honor the widows that are in our midst. And so it's, it's a really special time. The four, I, I, there might be some over here that I've missed, but I know that there are four widows on this side of the room. And so uh, the Bible speaks a lot about widows and orphans and that the church has, has a responsibility to, to really care for widows and orphans. Uh, when the Bible was written, the, 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 the culture, like the culture's safety net wasn't the same as it is in, in our present day and age. Like there's a lot of safety nets to take care of people in, in needs. However, I don't think it removes the, um, the responsibility of the church at least to be aware. And so what we do, um, just to, to, to remember the widows that are in our midst. When I came to the church, there were like 12 of us, and most of them were widows. And so it really had a big impact on me when I came to this church 15 years ago. And so what we do is we, we, we point them out, we pray for them, and then we give them a, you know, some roses on, behalf of, their, on their, behalf of their husbands. And so um, it's always just a really special time. So if you're a widow and you can stand up, could you stand up so that we can see you? I know Dolores, if you, Dolores is one, Bonnie is over there, she can with help, and then in the back we have Penny, and Miss Pat, of course, doesn't have to stand up, um, but we, we love you all, and you all have good family networks caring for you, but there's also the church family that's here. I'm going to need four guys to come up, or whoever to come up. Gideon can be one. It doesn't have to be men. I mean, it's just Gideon's going to volunteer for Miss Pat. There's two, three, four. Okay. Um, so we're going to deliver the roses, and then we're going to pray for the widows. Okay. Uh, so we're going to pray for them, and then the kids can go to Sunday school. Uh, Father, we do uh, thank you and praise you, uh, Lord, for your care and your love for the widows and orphans. You, uh, Throughout your word, you express to, to people that... Uh, to those that are suffering and in need and hurting, that you're there for them. And you have given responsibility to the church to really keep these individuals um, in the forefront of our thinking. We, we thank you that the widows that we have are cared for and have good family systems and are doing well, but we just want to do something small to, to think of them and to pray for them today and to be aware of who they are so that if we as a church family see opportunities that, that we can serve them and love on them, uh, we pray that you would help us to do this well. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, the kids can go to Sunday school now. All right, if you have your Bibles, we are in Genesis chapter 6. Oh, you're, thank you. You're, this is your first Sunday here, so. Okay, well, I, yeah, I try not to leave, yeah. But it's uh, something sweet that our church started a number of years ago, so we're glad to honor you that way. Um, okay, Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to pray. Today's going to be a little bit different, so let's pray. Father, we come to you, and we ask that you would lead us now. May your spirit illuminate the... Uh, the meaning of the passage. May we understand what happened. Uh, Father, we pray that you would just lead us as we seek to, uh, to cover a long section of, of Scripture in a, in a timely manner. We pray that you would help me to keep the, the, the main things in the forefront of our thinking. 
that you would help us to see, um, Lord, how the, the story of the flood uh, relates to present day and, and that we would see lessons that we can apply uh, to our day-to-day lives. We pray ultimately through this, this time that you would draw us close to Christ and that you would help us to, to deepen our relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. All right, so before I read the passage, I'm going to reread what we covered last week, uh, the first eight verses of chapter six, and then we're going to sort of work our way through three chapters of the Bible. Um, there's always a struggle when teaching the Bible. Like, I love that Scott always, you know, Scott always busts my chops in the back. He's like, why do you feel like you have to rush? And it's not, so there's not necessarily a pressure from you all. As, as one who wants to, to communicate the Bible, there's always a, a couple different ways that you can go about it. Neither, neither is right or wrong. There's just, in different settings, there's different purposes. And so when we sought to go through Genesis, my aim was to kind of, like, give the bigger picture in, in light of like the world, the, the totality of the scriptures, that so much of Genesis is, is about the beginnings. And it's, it's been going good so far, in my mind, uh, and like breaking up the sections. And then this week, it was like, do I cover just a little bit or do I cover this whole? You could really spend four years in Genesis. And I'm trying to sort of Present it in a way that hopefully we can walk away and sort of see the, the, the big theme. And so there's a lot to cover today. I'm going to try to stay on the, 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 the mountain peaks and not get distracted by other thoughts that, that are very interesting and fascinating. Hopefully I'll give you some resources that if you're an individual that wants to go into deeper study into Genesis and some of the things that might, we, we might touch on, there are resources out there that are fascinating uh, like behind me, it's the picture of the Ark Encounter in, outside of Cincinnati. I've never been there. Robert is like pleading with me to lead a church group to go. He's like, you lead trips to Israel. Why can't you lead a church, a, a church trip to Ark, uh, you know, the Ark Encounter? And uh, so we'll see. Um, yeah, Debbie's now you know, going to start throwing stuff at me if I don't. And, uh, but, but that's the picture of the Ark Encounter. These are individuals who have recreated what Noah's Ark by the specifications that are in here. And there's all sorts of groups that like big scientific brains that have studied the flood and have resources out there for you if you want more information. But the big picture. So when we started Genesis, it starts out with creation. The first two chapters, it, it, it depicts God's creation. The world was perfect. It was without sin. Everything was going great. Uh, chapter three, Satan is introduced. He tempts Adam and Eve. They succumb to the temptation. They eat of the fruit. Uh, the DNA of humanity was, was changed, that sinful man came into existence. I, I believe that sin entered our, our DNA. Uh, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're intrinsically sinners because of what happened back in Genesis chapter 3. And it just helps frame everything that we see in the world. As we go into chapters 4 and 5, from Adam and Eve, we see the birth of Cain and Abel. We, we looked at their, uh, what happened between them, that one brother murders the other brother. The, the lineage of, of Cain is sort of played out, and it sort of ends with you know, multiple marriages, multiple murders. Just the, the, the depravity of man begins to unfold. And then in the midst of that, we see that God had given them another son, Seth, and we follow the lineage of Seth, and, and we sort of 
we followed that through to last week in this first part of Genesis chapter 6. And so we see this godly line and this ungodly line sort of painting the picture. And, and really, the sinfulness of man had really just continued to compound and compound and compound until it was just really bad. And so I'm going to read through what John covered last week, and I'm just going to just try to to link the two pieces of cloth together because this is the foundation as we go in. It's not uh, fixing everything that John broke last week. This is just a uh, just a reminding us and setting the the, the stage for, for for where we are. Verse one. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, the days shall be 120 years. I'm going to pause here. As John covered, there's two or three main schools of thought. Uh, there are people I super respect on both sides, um, and we could get lost into what's happening here and miss the big point. The big point is that sin is beginning to sort of take off like wildfire. It's out of control. And then God comes here, and he says, nevertheless, his day shall be 120 years. And so God gives this warning. In 120 years, judgment is coming, and it's going to be bad. When we look at 1 Peter 3.20, the Apostle Peter, he writes, he, he references this time and he says, during this, this window, that God patiently waited for humanity to repent during this construction period. So during 120 years, Noah's going to build this ark. Peter tells us, God used this time as an opportunity for man to repent and to get right with him. 2 Peter 2.5 also says that during this period that Noah was this preacher of righteousness so that as he's constructing the ark, this huge, massive thing, the people, there hadn't been rain, there hadn't been, a flood, there hadn't been any of this stuff. Noah is proclaiming a good God and that they need to get right with him and nothing happens. Okay, verse 4. The Nephilim. I'm going to not go. This is an area that we could go into. I, I'm like wrestling with myself. So something owes is giants. And the reason that this school of thought about giants comes into play, I don't know that it's a, uh, like I said, I know people who hold this position. And the, the reason that this, this school of thought came is that when the translators of the King James Version translated, they took the word Nephilim and they translated that word as giant. And we don't, we don't know. It's Nephilim. And so we, we just... Like, again, we don't, we don't know, and I need to already kick myself in the rear and say we got to move on because we, we just don't know what's happening. What we do know is that sin amongst man is widespread and it's building. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were mighty men of old and men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually. And so this is the main, like, if you take anything from the first eight verses of, of Genesis chapter 6, what you need to walk away with is that from Adam and Eve's fall to this period, 
the condition of man's heart was solely on evil. Uh, sexual imp- impurity, doing evil, conti- it says that, that the intent of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. That was how humanity was painted. Verse 6, then God was sorry that he had, that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And so this big picture, this is uh, the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. It instructs believers not to grieve the Holy Spirit, like that our sin grieves God. And that's a, that's a powerful thought. When you reach the point in your relationship with God, when you get that feeling or that sort of revelation within your own heart that I just sinned, and it really hurts God, like it grieves God. And so in this condition, there God is looking at humanity, which he had created in his image and special, unique from the rest of creation, and he sees what they've done through sin. He's grieved. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created in the face of the land from man to animals, creepy things, to birds of of the sky, for I am sorry that I've made them. So it's just this bleak, sad, desperate situation. Like God, it's like, oh, this is like a total mess. And then we have this, but Noah. And in the midst of this, there's this one man. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so Noah stands out from humanity. In the midst of all of humanity, there's this one individual. Uh, John touched on it last week, but when the ages of the people, the, the, I think he said that they'd be 23 for like 600 years or something. I don't know what, you know, but it's like they're producing children and the population has like exploded. And so in the, the midst of this huge population, there's only one man who is righteous before God that he's walking with the Lord. And so now as we enter into chapter six, verse nine, God is going to unpack this story about this man, Noah, and sort of his journey. And so we read in verse 9, These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and Noah walked with God. And this is powerful. So, So righteous, meaning that he was right before God in how he lived. He was blameless amongst fellow man. And then we're told that Noah walked with God. And if there's a phrase that you walk away with today, I'll say pun intended, uh, is that Noah walked with God and God wants us to walk with him. Like we, when I became a Christian, this was one of the the weird phrases that I used to hear. I remember, uh, you know, dabbling in the world and then sort of going to church and then kind of, I was really walking in two worlds. And I, at church, I knew the sort of the face I needed to put on. I knew the, how I needed to act. But as soon as I left with church, I would be with my buddies and I'd be hitting all the dollar beer nights and PB. And so like I was in two radically different worlds. And I remember on a Tuesday night Bible study at this, this church I was going, Anna thinks I felt really redeemed. About four or five years ago, I showed her the church where I got saved. I'm driving around, I'm driving around, I'm driving around. She's like, how much were you drinking back then? And I couldn't, I'm like, the church is right here. And it was like condos. And she's like, Gunnar, I don't know that your memory's very clear from those days. And then, then I, fa- I bumped into the pastor. And I'm like, where's that church? 
And he's like, oh, we sold the property. It's a bunch of condos now. And I like, I'm like, and I wasn't that bad. Uh, but I remember one of those nights, one of my SEAL buddies that had been going to church, he like, afterwards, he pulled me aside and he said, how's your walk with God? And I was like, we're tight, man. We're good. We're good. I knew that was the right answer, but I had no clue what it meant. And so we see this like with Noah that he walked with God. We see this in the, the, like throughout the New Testament to walk with Christ, to, to abide in him. And I think it's this idea of that you, you spend time with God. And as you go about your days, you invite him into your workplace. You invite him into school. You invite him into wherever your day takes you. You say, hey, Lord, I'm going here. Be with me. Uh, help me to be a light into you. And so Noah went about his day walking with the Lord. If we go over to, you don't have to go over there, but a guiding passage as we look at the flood is found in Hebrews chapter 11. The heroes of the faith, when the writer of, of Hebrews lists all of these individuals that are, that are people who walked by faith that we can look up to, Noah is an individual that made the cut. And the author of Hebrews about Noah says, by faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, rain, floods, like all of this was foreign to the people. It hadn't rained because the canopy of the earth was different. In reference, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. And so when we read the story and we go through this and we see verse 9 back in Genesis chapter 6, that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and that Noah walked with God, don't let your mind start thinking about religion and a system of works uh, for accomplishing righteousness before God. The New Testament expands on this, that, that Noah found his righteousness through faith. God said something crazy to him. He believed God and he obeyed God by faith. And so this whole story, what we learn is that Noah is a man that walked by faith. Noah is a man that walked alone by faith. Nobody in his culture was walking with God. And then in verse 10, Noah became the father of three sons, sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And so things had gotten bad. In verse 13, we're going to transition. God is going to give Noah his marching orders. So in verses 13 through 22, what we're going to see is God is going to say some of these things, again, that we just read. He's going to give Noah a, a description of what he's to build, and then Noah is going to do it. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, and the earth, has fil- the earth is filled with violence because of them. And be- behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. I do want to pause because I want to try to put myself in Noah's shoes. Like, here I am. I'm like the only one who's living for God. The whole world is corrupt. We like to talk this way. We like to say, we're all alone. Nobody else is walking with God. The whole state of California is doing this, our nation, everything. Guys, look around. We're just a tiny little church. Like, this is a small church. And look at the people in this room. Like, there's churches down the street. There's a couple churches down the street. There's, there's all kinds of people in our culture, in California, who are walking with God. 
It's huge. This is, Noah was alone. He was alone. There was nobody else. It can get a lot worse. It can get a lot worse. Noah had it a lot worse. He was alone. And God comes to him and says, I'm going to destroy this whole earth by the earth. And I can see Noah going, well, I live on this earth. Like, how's that going to work out for me? You know, this doesn't sound too good. Verse 14, make for yourself an ark. Now, you can listen to me, but just look at the picture above. I think that they've done this like pretty accurately. There's no sense for you like figuring out cubits and gopher wood and all this stuff, you know, like, okay, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and you shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of an ark, 300 cubits. There is a little ramp on the side for people. So like the thing's ginormous is the technical term, I think. Um, Okay, where was I? Uh, breadth, 50 cubits. It's height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it uh, Finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door in the ark on the side of it. You shall make it lower with a second and... Wait, you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Uh, that's the ark construction. Behold, God's going to continue to say what he's going to do. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood upon the earth to destroy all flesh, which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. You shall enter the ark and you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you and every little thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark and and to keep them alive with you, they shall be made, uh, they shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, and of the animals of their kind, every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of the, all the food which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. So by faith, he did all this. God says, I'm going to bring this rain. Like it, there's no evidence that rain had existed up to this point. God says, I need you to build a boat. Well, like, what's a boat? Like, what's an ark? Like, this, ha- this hasn't been done. He gives him the dimensions. He's supposed to follow through with this. We can look at this and go, man, this is kind of crazy. But the reality is, is we're in the same boat, pun intended, as Noah. What has God said to us? God has said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I have an ark for you. It's the cross. If you want to be safe, enter the ark. I mean, come to the cross. God tells us, Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He was sacrificed on the cross. All of the world's sins were placed upon him, past, present, future. He absorbed them in full. God's wrath was satisfied. And if you come to Jesus, your sins will be atoned for, they're forgiven, and that you can have everlasting life and know that you can walk with God for all of eternity. I mean, it's just as crazy sounding as an ark, is it not? Like, this is like... And so God forces us to respond by faith. Noah gets all of this, and we said, you know what? Noah did it. He did all that he commanded, and because of Hebrews 11, chapter 7, we know that, that Noah was doing this by faith. 
And so we have the same opportunity as Noah to respond. We, we all have a day that is appointed to us that we will die. You could be 150 when you die, or you can be like, you know, this, this week was another hard week as, as a prayer request. My buddy Tom Retzer, who was, his mom was here during the summer. Uh, Tom's brother was here during the summer. Well, on Monday night, I get word that, that Tommy's brother, Michael, who visited our church on Memorial Day weekend, that he had a massive heart attack and died at 44. And it's like, I feel like pray for Leona. Like I can't, like a mom losing like multiple children. But, but it's like, there's a day that's appointed. Like just because you think you're like 30 and you're like, oh, I'll make it to 100. It's like, okay, okay but God doesn't give us any promise. You might. And so God has said by faith today, respond, like trust him and like, take him seriously. He's giving you an opportunity. He gave them an opportunity, 120 years of proclaiming that this is coming. Okay, I got to move on. Verse, chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all of your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. 120 years have gone by. The ark has been built now God says, get in. He's going to execute his plan. You shall take with you two of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. Also the birds of the sky by sevens I will make male and female to keep the offspring alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded, uh, commanded him, again, by faith. Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood water came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his three and his sons' wives with them entered the ark because of the water of the flood of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground there went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. So it came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month of the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all of the fountains of the water, fountains of the great deep burst open. And the floodgates in the sky were opened. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights. Okay, I'm going to pause here just to give my eyes a break. I'm at this like delicate stage in life where I can go without glasses. But, uh, <laughs> but then like looking up here, it's all blurry right now. So I just don't want the hassle. Um, but so what do we see? Where did the water come from? Uh, so this is catastrophic. So the Bible describes sort of like from springs under the earth, they bust forth from like from under the ground, the water starts filling up the earth, and then the rains start coming down. The, this is one of those areas that I, I have to guard myself from talking too long. But the amount of violence and force that is that is occurring to the planet that we that I believe you can make a case that you you see today. Um, earlier in the beginning, I had referenced Mount St. Helens. Earlier in the beginning of when we started Genesis is what I'm talking about. Um, 
So we look at things like the Grand Canyon. And some scientists, not all scientists, some scientists, the majority of scientists who don't want God to be brought into the equation, their answer for the Grand Canyon is millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years. Like with enough time, the river eroded and you created all the stuff and that's their explanation. There was one scientist who held that same view back in the 80s when Mount St. Helen erupted. He was an old earth uh, person and he was documenting as Mount St. Helens exploded. You can find, I didn't get his name, I, I said it back then, but you can find this guy basically in the 80s. It's an old school video and he's there documenting Mount St. Helens. As Mount St. Helens exploded and created all the stuff that happened, they had like a what happened overnight was like it created a, a one and one to forty scale. I think was the number of 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 the Grand Canyon. And so the guy starts looking at this, and he says he starts going down, and he can see the different layers, and he looks at everything, and he's like, actually, he's like, I'm not even. He's not even a guy of faith. He was a guy that was old earth of the millions and millions and millions of years, but he saw the stuff. He starts carbon dating all of the stuff that he saw happen overnight. And all of the carbon dating was, was reporting that the stuff was 40 million years old. And he's like, this can't be right. I saw this happen. Like how? And so he began to be open to the idea that maybe a catastrophic flood could explain for the Grand Canyon, but he was shoved out and so, so of uh, secular sort of scientific circles. But so there's great scientists out there that look at this and say, this, this account of Genesis, actually, if you would be open to the evidence, would, would, fulfill, like, would sustain like what we see today, like it would explain it. And so we see all this water, the water's bursting forth, the rain's falling down, 40 days and 40 nights, I got to move on for time. On that very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and his three wives and his sons with him entered the ark. And they, after, and every beast after its kind and the, all the cattle after their kind and creepy thing that creeps on the earth after its kind and, af, and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah by twos, all flesh in which was the breath of life. Those that entered male and female of all flesh entered as God commanded him, and the Lord closed it, the door of the ark, behind him. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted the ark, and it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated upon floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all of the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. I want to pause here to point out that this, the Bible speaks of a universal flood, meaning that the whole of the earth was covered with water. I have this memory as I was studying this week of when I was a kid. So I, when I was a kid, I was pretty much free ranged in my house. Um, like my brother and I would, would basically leave to avoid the violence in the house. And, and so we would go out. We lived in Tahoe. It was wonderful experience. I mean, it was a wonderful experience. It just depends on your interpretation of that. Like, but I had a wonderful time growing up other than the violence in the home, but everything else was really cool. And so, I mean, to be a third grader that could just go out into Tahoe woods, like with really no accountability was pretty awesome. And so my brother and I, who was really mature, he was seven years older than I was. So, you know, like 10th grade. So we were good. Um, uh, memories. 
I have this memory being out in, in desolation in Lake Tahoe, like we would climb Mount Talak and we'd be up on the mountains. I remember a little kid like taking a break and like going through the dirt and finding seashells. And I remember thinking, that's kind of weird. Like this is like, I had no, I had, I wasn't even aware of this like discussion, but I remember kind of like flipping through seashells out in the middle of nowhere in Lake Tahoe. And as I'm studying, I'm like, I better Google this because before I say this and sound like I'm like some crazy man up here, and so I Google seashells in the Sierras, and there's a whole bunch of stuff out there. And then there's like, but all of the top hits are these guys that are super anti-God, and they're no way does this account for the flood. I'm like, well, why can't it account for the flood? Like, why is there a seashell on the top of this mountain? And then they had all their explanation. I'm not going to get all into it. All I, when I read this, my experience as a little kid up in the mountains in Tahoe, like far from the ocean, is like, I've seen seashells. And it doesn't make any sense apart from this. Like, this makes, like, oh, okay, maybe there's seashells because the whole water, like, covered the whole of the earth. Moving on because I don't have time to. Um, the water prevailed. I got to do three chapters. This is like, okay, the water prevailed 15 cubits higher and the mountains were covered. Total flood, universal, nothing was not covered. All the flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts of every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and mankind, of all that was on the dry land and those whose nostrils was the breath of life, of the spirit of life died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creepy things and birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left Together with those that were with him in the ark, the water prevailed upon the earth for 150 days. Okay, so this is, this is obviously like super sad. Uh, do want to point out just for free of charge, when you find yourself reading Matthew 24 and it talks about the days of Noah and the people being taken away, it's not about the rapture. The people in the days of Noah that were taken away, it was not good to be taken away. It was the people who remained. <laughs> like the family of Noah remained. Everybody else was taken away. Um, that's just something for you to grapple with on your own. I had no purpose. I probably shouldn't even said it, but I think of it when I see this. Then we go into chapter 8. So the flood had been going. It's, it's gone a while now. So we're like at 150 days here. There were seven, seven days of waiting early on. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Now we're told that there's a 150 days, that, that it was just basically Noah was a sailor. He did a deployment out there. And, and we come to chapter 8, and we have a but God. We have but Noah and but God. So whenever we see this, it always catches my eye, but God remembered Noah. And all the beasts and the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. So now God pulled the plug on the earth, the water's going to start draining, and things are going to return to normal eventually. Also, the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained, and the water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water decreased. In the seventh month of the seventh day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. The water decreased steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were visible. Then it came about at the end of the 40 days that Noah 
opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he'd sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water it flew here and there until the waters dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and so she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he had put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark himself. So he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came to him afterwards toward the evening, and behold, her beak was freshly, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah, Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days, and he sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. Now, about the 600th and first year in the first month of the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. (sighs) Okay. So if you tally this all up from when the rain started to this, the earth was dried up, those that have calculated this, all of the math, you come up to about 377 days. So this was like about a year journey. Um, from this point on, one of the questions that comes up previous to this is like the, the, uh, you know, the life of man, like how long men lived prior to Noah. Um, it's fascinating to me. So, so what young earth creationists think and what I would hold to is that the the, the atmosphere was different. It was simply different. And then when the floods happened, the ozone layer changed because all of the moisture that was in the air went to the earth. What are scientists today, what, what is the big concern why everybody's going green? The ozone layer, they're saying, is changing. They say the ozone layer is changing, and then it's hurting our life expectancy. So we're trying to do all the stuff, which I'm not going to get into the debate of, like, like trying to fix the ozone layer so that our lives will go longer. So it also kind of aligns with this. From this point moving forward in the Bible, you see that when man is described, his life uh, length is so much shorter. And so something atmospherically changed. Like all the water is no longer up in the sky. The protection layer is not there. And, and so things are decaying at a, at a faster rate. Then God, said, then God spoke to Noah in verse 15 saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons with you. Bring out with you every thing, every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creepy thing that creeps on the earth, even the spiders and the snakes and all of that stuff. Like Noah could have changed life for us, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wife with them. Every beast, every creepy thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. And so I am pretty much on track so this is what happened. This is where we're stopping t- today. Er- er- earlier in the text, where was it? 
Um, well, it was somewhere that we already read. God tells Noah that I'm going to make a covenant with you. That covenant we're going to see next week. Noah's going to get out. He's going to make a sacrifice. God's going to give some instructions, and he's going to make a pledge because he has some feelings after what he just went through. I understand that we, like, we flew through this. Like, I mean, I blasted through. There were so many spots where you could really spend a lot more time and if we did that, we would lose like the, the picture of, of what is happening in Genesis. And so I understand that you might have a lot of, of questions. These questions are important. Um, I, 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 like, I super duper think they're important because the reality is everywhere you go, you go to the zoo, you start reading this stuff, you like... You turn on the TV. You can't get away from it. The creation account is under attack everywhere. Like, ultimately, because God is under attack. So the Bible is under attack. God is under attack. Jesus is under attack. And so there's questions, and these questions are important. And I'm super thankful for the guys and ladies who have the thick glasses. That's a total stereotype that I'm going to get in trouble for that they do this work at levels that I don't have the capacity or, or interest to study. There are young earth scientists that are fascinating. Like my father-in-law was one of them before he came to pastor. And I love when he gets in arguments with people and, or debates and he starts talking about the stuff. And inevitably where the argument goes is, well, neither one of us are scientists, so we don't really know. And my, bro- my father-in-law is like, well, actually, I do have my degree in biochemistry from Cal Poly. And I, I was a scientist, and I studied this stuff. It's like, well, you're just better talking than me. But there are guys like at ICR, Institute for Creation Research, icr.org, creation.com, the Ark Encounter. These are people who have like, devoted their lives as true like PhD scientists that are respected in the scientific world all for the fact that they hold to a young earth position. If it wasn't for their young earth position, they would be well-respected scientists in the, in the mainstream of science. And these are people that, that you can go to and you can look at what they have to say about this. And there is science that supports this. But it's kind of like whatever you want the outcome to be, that's what you're, the information that you're going to put in and you're going to get out of it. But from, that's, that's not for me here. The question is, like, what do we do with this passage in my like, remaining two minutes? Like, what do, we, what do we do? Like, who are the characters in the story that we can learn from? And Genesis, this tends to be the way I think. is like, who are the main players? What do we learn from them? One player is the world. This world that has abandoned God. Like, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing that God hasn't seen that's happening today. Don't think the good old days. Like, oh, California, back in the good old days. Like, when humanity was... Humanity's been sinful since Adam and Eve ate, and it only projected, well, it might have looked different than we're used to now, but, but rest assured, sin was alive and well when this nation was founded. Like, it was alive and well. When I look from God, like, and I look at God, a character, like in this story, I take away from the story that our sin grieves God. We're commanded in Ephesians 4.30 as followers of Christ, 
our lives and how we lead our lives matter. And we're told in Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say, by, by which you are sealed until the day of redemption. Like our salvation is not in quite, like our salvation is contingent on the work of, of the cross. And so if you've trusted in Christ, but what I take from this is that if you're a Christian and you're not walking with God, you're grieving him. And that should sting. Like he is patient with us as humanity, but his patience has a limit. Peter, when he writes about these things, what he says is as they begin, the world begin to mock you, saying that Jesus is going to return. Just know that, that, that he hasn't returned because God is patient and he desires all men to come to repentance. We see this during the 120 years. He's provided a way of escape for us. My prayer is that you have entered the ark of salvation, which is the cross that you have placed your faith in Christ saying, I believe that Jesus died for me, for my sins, and through faith, not of my own works, that I can enter in and be secure in Christ. And then what do we look at from Noah? Like this is a guy that lived in a world that was super corrupt, like super corrupt. This is like the, the understatement of the day. Certainly he had fear about the future. He had uncertainty about what God was going to do. Yet in the midst of this, he trusted God, placed his faith in him, even though he stood truly alone with nobody that he could turn to. I am grateful that we live in a day and age where we have all sorts of believers in our midst that we can turn to within this fellowship. This is why we do the dinner eights. This is why we, we do uh, Bible bingo. We do the Bible studies, the prayer meetings, the groups that we gather and get together so we can link arms and really survive the battle that's going on out there. Again, Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. We can stand alone like Noah stood alone by faith. We can trust God's plan in the midst of this chaotic world when we don't know what the future holds. I can assure you that our hope isn't based on the next election or the one after that or the one after that. Our hope is based solely on God's promises and the future world that he is going to restore. We can walk with God by faith like Noah did. He's made a bunch of promises to us that the world says is crazy, but we can trust God in his world. And I can only imagine the impact that we would have on the world around us if we would simply wake up in the morning and say, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for being in my life. I'm about to go out and drink my coffee, and I have no idea what the rest of today has, but I pray that you would be with me and help me to be faithful to you and to be a light into the world. I think that this world would be totally transformed if we would simply do that. Okay, I made it. Okay, let's pray. You may not agree with me, but I... <laughs> uh, Father, we do thank you again for the story of Noah. There's a lot here. I mean, it's this, this powerful story. It's epic. It's, it's, it's something that movies have been made about. And to think about Noah and what you reveal to him and the warning that you gave to humanity and their lack of heeding it and Noah's faithfulness. 
Father, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on you, that you would help each one of us. Lord, if there are individuals here who haven't placed their faith in Christ, that you would help them to see that Jesus is the ark of our time, that this is what you have revealed to us. This is the answer to our lostness. This is the answer to our sin. This is our ultimate hope. I pray, Father, for those that are hearing this that may not know you or they're not certain. I pray that you would help them to place their faith in Christ. And Father, for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we remain in this chaotic world where it seems like everybody has turned away from you, that everything in this culture is against you, and there is so much violence and horrific things happening. All you have to do is to look at the news to see day after day after day just horrific uh, evil out there. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us not to be distracted by the evil of the world, but that we would be transformed and focused and just locked into your holiness and this life and relationship and intimacy that you have provided to us through Christ. We pray that you would help us to walk day by day faithfully with you. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.